everyone. Today we hit the milestone of 30 whole episodes on language on purpose. Yay! To celebrate, I thought I'd recycle the fun and recap a few of the best bloopers from our guests. A shout out here to all my guests for their willingness to share their bloopers. Some I'll just retell for the sake of brevity and others you'll hear straight from the horse's mouth. We all agree, right, that you can learn from your mistakes. So I'm peppering in a few takeaways and then I'll wrap up with some more. So stay tuned. Here we go. I hope you'll enjoy the bloopers even more the second time around. Let's start with Thor from episode 26. I went with my church in college to Mexico for a week, as many people do. We were in a tiny village way up in the Sierra Madre Mountains. And to give my church credit, we had to demonstrate sort of an intermediate Spanish proficiency in order to go on this trip because we were supposed to talk. But I had never taken Spanish, was just trying to quickly learn on my own from ill-designed textbooks. And we were at this little hut, you know, it was kind of just a roof with no walls and the wind was blowing and I was meant to play guitar and lead worship and the papers were blowing everywhere. And I wanted to say in Spanish, there's a lot of wind here, uh, which would be hay mucho viento aquí. But instead I say hay mucho vientre aquí, which means there's a lot of uterus here or a lot of womb here. And the crowd that was gathered for the service was in fact entirely women. And I just got a lot of blank stares, uh, stone faces, and it wasn't until an hour later as I was like driving down the mountain that I realized what I had said and that I had used that wrong word. So an easy case of lexical switching where two words sounded too similar to each other, but yeah, a pretty funny mistake. So that's the difference between viento and vientre. <laughs> yes. You can see, it's an honest mistake. You can see how that could happen. Takeaway number one. Lexical switch is a common error, but the fact that you probably knew both words is grounds for giving yourself some credit. Now we'll go to Lauren in episode 10, where her husband is grinding up baby chicks in Thailand. So said husband, decide he wants to make hummus. Hummus, of course, is made from chickpeas, but the only chickpeas you can buy in Thailand are dried and stay hard even after soaking them. So he needs to buy a blender that's strong enough to grind them up. He goes out to the store similar to Home Depot to look for that powerful blender. He says to the sales lady, blender I need to grind up baby chicks. She looks at him like he's crazy and says, uh, I'm not really sure. He repeats, blender strong enough to grind up baby chicks. Again, she has this baffled look and says, I'm not really sure. Finally, he realizes what he's doing wrong and corrects himself. Blender, I need to grind up chickpeas. The sales lady breathes a sigh of relief and says, nope, so sorry, I don't have one. Alas, no blender, no hummus, sigh. The takeaway? Well, it might not be a bad idea to learn from the get-go a phrase like, what did I say wrong? Or maybe, please correct me, so that hopefully you can whip it out if you do get that funny, huh, look. Which, by the way, we all have experienced, so don't feel special, dear husband of Lauren. And by the way, Lauren says, and I quote, I think I was sent to learn Thai 
just so I could provide some humor for the Thai people. While we're on the subject of food, Natalie in episode 25 recounts the time her mom came to visit her in Spain. She took her out to eat at a fancy place she'd never been to before. I thought I ordered us veal, Natalie said, but what I'd actually ordered was rabbit, which came on a plate with its little head cut in two so you could eat their brains. Well, Natalie, the catch was in Peru, we'll use the word rabbit to actually mean guinea pig. And we also had the honor of being served the sweet little head. And it was an honor. Takeaway, sometimes good old Google Translate can save the day, but don't you dare let it become a crutch. And of course, suck it up and eat what's in front of you despite the little teeth staring back at you. Later, we'll hear again from Natalie. I'm not picking on you, Natalie, I promise. But first, a couple of more food and drink stories. The first one I'll tell on myself. I mentioned on the podcast that we were learning one of the dialects of Quechua spoken in Southern Peru. In that particular dialect, phonetically, there are velar stops and also post-velar stops pronounced further back in the throat. So like a ka velar and a ka post-velar, ka and ka. Sorry for all the detail here, but it's important to the story. Have I told this one before? Those same consonants and all others that are stops can be unaspirated, aspirated, or glottalized. So with that velar ka, you can get either a ka, a ka, or a ka. And the post velar ka, 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 and ka way too many choices to get it right. Bottom line, you have to get the tongue position on the palate right, as well as the airflow right, or, well, you said the wrong thing. Okay, here's my blooper that was indeed super duper. I was sitting in a Quechua kitchen hut, helping my friend and her friends cut up lots of carrots for a big fiesta. Great language learning opportunity, right? One lady looked at me, the white-faced gringa, and asked, do you drink chicha? Now, chicha is a semi-fermented beverage made from barley, something I'd been drinking from day one. You can't be Quechua and not drink chicha. Of course, I replied, I certainly do drink chicha. The right word for chicha was aka, post-velar aspirated, aka. But instead, I said aka, velar unaspirated. And as a result, I communicated that I was drinking feces. Those dang pesky consonants. The takeaway, I worked at learning to tell the story on myself. My language ability increased, and so did my repertoire of things I could say in a pinch. Another takeaway regarding phonetic contrast is to set up a drill to focus on the differences. Or you might try out the app Interactive Phonetics to help you with pesky consonants. If you've landed in a tonal language and need help, now's the time to hear from one of the world's leading experts on tone in episode eight, Tone Death. Thanks again, Keith. The second food story comes from Amy. In the very first podcast, episode off and running, 
she mentions a blooper from those first few weeks after landing in the country. Let's listen. I had made food. It's a very normal thing here to share food with people. And I had made food similar to what I would make in the United States. And I decided I was going to share that with my friends, which was great. I had enough language to say, oh, yeah, I want to share this with you. Macaroni and cheese, right? <laughs> it, it wasn't. It was uh, actually stuffed peppers, which I had a bunch of different vegetables in it. One of the vegetables that I had in it was part of like a yellow squash. But the word that I had in my brain for yellow squash was not exactly the word that it was supposed to be. So in my brain, I kind of remembered the beginning of the word. And I was like, okay, I'll put a vowel at the end. And I know that there's a vowel at the end. And hopefully I chose the right one. I didn't choose the right one. <laughs> so as I met, my friends are asking me, oh, what did you put in this? Which is a very normal question here. I said, oh, I have beef in it. I have garlic. I have blah, blah, blah. And then I said, and I have pepper. They looked at me. They knew that I didn't say the right word. They started laughing, but they couldn't explain to me what I had done wrong. They eventually called over another person just because they thought it was so funny. And they're like, oh yeah, they're going to try it too. Tell this person what is in it. So I said the same thing that I had said before, knowing that there was something wrong, but I didn't know what a different word to use. So I said the same thing and they laughed again and they, uh, they didn't shy away from it because they knew that I wasn't actually being serious with what I said, but I was like, what, what word am I saying? What's going on? Come to find out, I didn't say I had yellow squash in my stuffed pepper. I had spiders. So I was telling all the neighbors I had put spiders in my food that I was feeding to them. <laughs> That's great that they asked you to say it again so they could get another round of laughs off of you. It's true. It's yeah. true. That is something else as a random quick suggestion be okay with being the thing that people laugh at. There's uh, oftentimes that I have done things and intentionally been the person to be laughed at. Like I said, I knew that I was saying the word wrong, but I didn't have any idea how to fix it. And I didn't have any idea how to explain to them what I was trying to say. Eventually, I found a picture on my phone, my search for a yellow squash. And then they were able to say, oh, it's not laba, it's labu. Okay. <laughs> Uh, very different, even though the words sound similar. But yes, they asked a number of times just so they could get another laugh. The takeaway comes from Amy herself. She suggests, and I quote, be okay with being the thing people laugh at. Now back to Natalie, this time in episode 24, Stuck in the Middle. Her story comes from her adventures while learning Mandarin. Listen closely for the takeaway at the end of the clip. And sociolinguistic concerns in general are addressed by Dr. David Brorsma in episode 27, Speak Appropriately. I have one of my favorite stories, and it's not exactly a blooper, but it's more of an aha moment. So I was living in Asia, and I was using Mandarin to communicate with people, and I was teaching English at the same time. So I was walking to class in the morning like I always did, and I would see my students, and they would say, good morning, teacher. And I said, good morning, and then they would go on their way. And it's really popular in that place to address your teacher as teacher instead of the name. 
And then one day, about six months in into my learning on Mandarin, I was walking with a student and I heard, so this, I said, good morning. And then good morning, teacher. And then he said to his same friend that was just passing us, did you eat yet? And the guy said, yep, I'm full. Did you? And he said, yep, I'm full. And I looked over, okay, you know, is that your roommate? No, that's not my roommate. Okay, next person. Good morning. Good morning, teacher. Hey, did you eat yet? Yeah, I ate. How about you? Yep, I ate. I'm full. And I looked over. I said, is the cafeteria closed? I'm trying to think why. And he said, no. And then the next one, good morning. Good morning, teacher. How are you? Did you eat? Yep. And I said, why are you asking your friends if they've had breakfast? And he goes, ah, that's just how we say good morning. And I'm like, what have I been saying this entire time? And he stopped in the middle of walking and said, oh, teacher, your Chinese is really good. Your Mandarin's really good. Your pronunciation is so good. But I said, what have I been saying? And he goes, we just don't really say that. And so then that was my aha moment to learn to ask from people, what do I say in this situation instead of how do I say good morning? It was a really good light bulb moment of pragmatics and sociolinguistics. And so there you go. So you don't do this direct translation thing. No. And that's one of the things that we always emphasize with our learners in our second language acquisition courses with ICCT. Don't ask a helper, how do you say blah, 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 when you give them an English phrase. Instead, ask, how do you do this thing? What do I say in this situation? And you're going to get a lot farther. In another school setting, in a mom's meeting, Jody courageously piped up and, well, oops. For the takeaway, I'd just like to acknowledge that it's just plain hard to say something in a group setting versus a one-on-one situation. I had a couple of my kids in a preschool all in Portuguese. And so uh, we had a mom's meeting and I went over and with the other moms, we were talking about what kind of snacks to provide for break time. All this is done in Portuguese, of course, and at this point, my Portuguese was very limited. So they were saying that natural foods are better than packaged foods. And so I chimed in and said, yeah, because they don't have as many preservatives. I think I know where this is going. Well, they just gave me this look and there was this awkward silence. And then finally, somebody burst out laughing and so did the rest because the word that I used for preservatives actually means birth control. <laughs> How did you realize that that's what you were actually saying? Oh, a sweet expat mom explained it to me um, so graciously. We were all laughing at that point. And the other moms were, when they saw, you know, that I wasn't going to burst into tears or be offended or anything, were laughing right along with me. And that's the other thing is the friendships, the friendships, Mary Lynn, they're so precious from being committed to language learning alongside your host friends. Pretty neat stuff. And when you're willing to laugh at yourself like that, that establishes you as a humble learner. And that's always great for relationships. Yeah. We'll hear from two other guests and then we'll wrap it up. These come from Jeff Brake in episode 18, Stress Less. I just had to include both of his bloopers. Jeff mentions how the dopamine that results from laughter can boost brain function. So that's our takeaway. Laugh more, learn more. In my first year as a cross-cultural worker, I was asked to share the Easter message. And I took that responsibility very seriously. 
And I really prepared for 40 hours to do that talk. As a sermon. Uh, yes, that's exactly right. That, that the message was about how the promises uh, of the Old Testament were already fulfilled in the sun. And I was completely ready for this sermon. I had practiced and practiced. The key word, which was repeated over and over again in the sermon was the word already. And in Russian, that word is uže. And the entire sermon, when I actually delivered it, I said uže. I just said the stress on the wrong syllable. And it is the word barely. So I reversed the meaning of the message, just a three-letter word. A couple other silly bloopers. I was working with a group of 10 and 12-year-old kids, and it was so hot in the room where we were. So I asked one of the kids to open the window a little bit. Uh, grammatically, perfect sentence. I chose all the right words. I just didn't know that in Russian, a little bit means go number one. And I lost control of that class, absolutely. And a final message that just a horrible mistake. We were being hosted by someone in their home. They made a delicious meal for us. It was so wonderful. Um, like many cultures, they kept putting food on my plate. And I was so full, I couldn't eat anything else. And so I wanted to say, oh, the food was delicious. I'm, I'm so full. And the Russian word for a man to say he's full is soup. But I held the S a little bit too long at the beginning of that word, not knowing that it was even possible to do this in the language. And instead, I said something like, um, I have completely wet myself. The opposite effect of what I was hoping for. Thank you so much for your hospitality. I'm so full. And instead, it's say, you know, hey, lady, too much food. And I wet myself. I bet they never had you over again, right? <laughs> Actually, they did, but they told the story over and over at my expense, and I laughed with them. Last but not least, let's join Karen Griffith on the train about six months after she started language learning in Europe. I had been learning language about six months when I took a train five hours north to the capital. After a little while, I realized I had a captive audience in my little train car, and so I decided to try to introduce the man next to me to my friend Jesus. I quickly thought it through in my head and was pretty sure I could come up with enough vocabulary to make myself understood, so I started in. I didn't know the word for way, so I said that Jesus is the path to the Father. I felt really pleased with myself there for a second until the poor confused man eventually burst out in hysterical laughter. I was crushed that he was laughing at my deep truth. I, was, I just got the guts to try and share with him. But then he explained that instead of saying, Jesus is the path to the Father, I actually said that Jesus is the Christmas tree to the Father. Hodnik as opposed to huinka. Say that again. Hodnik versus Hoinka. So yeah, the most important message I could share, I messed it up big time. But it was just one of my million mistakes, and I never made that one again for sure. 
The takeaway is something else Karen said, which I really love. You have to make a million mistakes to learn the language. So you might as well go ahead and get started. I hope you've enjoyed this recap of bloopers. It's easy to find the original episodes if you click on menu and click on the title. So after this bit of levity, I end on a more serious note. You know, guys, I think we all may have assumed here that these bloopers just gave the learner a good laugh. And I think they certainly did laugh, but I imagine I didn't exactly ask each one. There was also a good deal of embarrassment, maybe mixed with some shame, at making a dumb mistake and getting laughed at maybe multiple times for the same thing and maybe resulting in some fear and avoidance. I bet this has certainly happened to you. It certainly has to me. I strongly suggest that you go back to episode 15, Everybody Makes Mistakes, where I match up types of mistakes with practical follow-up suggestions for handling them. Don't let a mistake keep you a good learner down. This is Maryland Kinderberg, and thanks for listening to Language on Purpose. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify, and always at our webpage, languageonpurpose.org. Subscribe, follow, download, and you won't miss an episode. Thanks.